This webcast is for informational purposes only. The content provided does not constitute medical advice or diagnosis, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The opinions and information provided during the webcast are for informational and discussion purposes only. We do not warrant or guarantee the accuracy, completeness, adequacy, or currency of the content provided. This webcast is not a substitute for professional psychological or medical treatment, advice, assistance, or services. Should you or a family member need help with any of the matters discussed during the program, please contact a competent licensed professional for assistance. Welcome to Caught Between Generations. I'm Dr. Merrill, and welcome to your one-stop shop for information for caregivers. As a caregiver, I know you're already stressed and you're overwhelmed and most of the time you're exhausted. So the one thing you do not need is to be going to multiple sources for information and resources for all the generations for which you care. Children, grandchildren, parents, spouses, adult children, you do it all. On an earlier show, we spoke to Steve Yule about existing and emerging technologies. And most of our time with Steve was focused on technology for seniors. So in keeping with our mission on Caught Between Generations, we want to provide you with information that you need in caring for multiple generations. Today, we're going to be discussing technology and children. So whether you're a parent or a grandparent, these are critical issues. Things such as monitoring the kids every minute of the day or threats posed by social media are very, very important. We're very fortunate to have with us today Robin Raskin, who is the founder and president of Living in Digital Times. I usually don't go through people's full bio, but I thought Robin's bio was so impressive, I really wanted to give you the highlights of what she's done. She's the former editor of PC Magazine and editor-in-chief of Family PC. She has served as vice president at Ziff Davis Publishing, and she was actually one of the founding advisors at Yahoo Tech. She's been a columnist for USA Today Online. She's authored six books about parenting in the digital age. Riskin was also a regular contributor to CBS News, and she's appeared regularly on CNBC, MSNBC, Lifetime, and many, many other networks. She served in the National Academy of Science, and she has testified numerous times in Washington to protect children in the digital age. Robin, welcome to Caught Between Generations. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a thrill to have you. So on previous shows, Robin, we discussed helicopter parents. But in your blog, you talk about drone parents. I had not seen that term before. So, so what are drone parents? So I, you know, I kind of made that term up to capture the ferocity of what's happened with technology. So helicopter parents kind of you know, hovered over you and watched what you were doing. Drone parents are sort of right there over your head all the time, just like the drones that we have. And it, it makes me think um, because of communications, because of mobile phones in particular – your kids can be sitting in there with their college advisor and send you a text saying, hey, ma, what do you think I should major in? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and so the, or the, the combination of um, the mobile technology and, and the parents' desire to remain in kids' lives has made this new droning parent 
phenomena. You can know everything about your kid. You can know when they're texting. You can know which apps they use. You can geolocate them to know wherever they go. And then it becomes a question of should you or shouldn't you? I think it's an interesting question. So you go back to your Shakespearean days, obviously, and instead of to be or not to be, we're talking about to track or not to track. Um, so tell me, what do you think are the pros of, of tracking children? Yeah, so research shows that um, we actually let children, we've created fences that are much closer than ever before. Probably when you were a kid, when I was a kid, we're sort of allowed to roam through the neighborhood freely. And those, we've actually fenced that in. So kids can't go outside of, you know, walk next door or uh, not even walk to school. Trackers, in a way, let you have this freedom to go outside of those boundaries because your parents can know where you are. So if there's any worry about you walking to school alone or going somewhere after school, wearing a, a watch for kids, there and there are many of them, or a little tracker for kids, can let uh, parents see where their kids are. And the same with seniors, let them see where roaming, wandering seniors are. You know, it's the same technology. So the good thing is that you can actually increase your child's boundaries in life and know where they are while still keeping some reins in control. Actually, when I read that, it dawned on me that I need to have one of those or two of them actually for my grandchildren when I take them like to amusement parks or museums because, I mean, we, my husband and I are like in dreaded fear of losing one of them um, in those kinds of environments. It can be pretty scary when you yeah. lose sight of them for a couple of seconds. Yeah. So, you know, and the, you know, if you have ever been to Disney World, they use locators on the kids. And, and so the technology is pretty good. And for young kids, I think, you know, it's sort of like a tech tether. Remember those tethering ropes you used to put on the kids and <laughs> the harnesses and you couldn't let them walk? Well, now you can do it with technology. But of course, uh, you know, things can go wrong. For example, you're in a place without good uh, mobile reception um, and you can't track your kids. or It takes you a while to get used to. People tend to not use these apps for tracking until they need them. You know, it's like the lost your phone app. You never use it when you have your phone. You use it when you lose your phone and then you don't know how to use it. So if you're going to think about tracking young kids, you definitely want to practice so that when the real situation comes... You actually can locate them. And I think for young kids, it's it's really helpful. And for those days when it's the first time they've walked to school alone or, you know, or the first time uh, they've gone out, it's it's when you get to the older kids and when they're, they're out driving. And you, you know there are apps where you can actually log your kids' uh, turns in the car, whether they say they're going to Susie's house, but they've gone to John's house, how long they've been gone, how fast they've gone, have they texted? And those are, um, to me, a little more worrying because trust is kind of broken down somewhere there. At the same time, they give you great comfort. So it's really a very individual decision and kind of a scary one. Robin, what do you think are the cons? I mean, there are issues about privacy. I would think especially with a teenager, um, they would say, you're getting into my space. You don't belong in my space. You know, I don't want a GPS or whatever that tracker is on the car. Um, you know, I guess there's one where if they go out of a certain radius, the car 
kind of stops or begins yeah. to slow down. That could be kind of scary on a highway, actually. But I mean, what what's been your experience with that? Well, my experience is with the older kids, when you're using technology to track them or, or stay in their life, it, it, it sort of means trust is broken down. And I try and turn the conversation around to ask parents, first of all, are you a good role model? Are you so sloppy in your own social, social media? For example, how many, how many parents do you know that are just like posting everything about their kids online without any regard for what their kids might think? Um, um, I have three older kids. And I very nicely ask them, okay, you won a scholarship or you did something good. Do you mind if I put that online? It's a simple courtesy. How many toddlers do you see banging on their parents' skirts saying, can you please listen to me and stop texting for a minute? Mm-hmm. So you're seeing um, you know, uh, sort of a parents, as I say, they say, uh, do as I do, not as I say, or you know, do as I say, not as I do, that it's really important that parents are good role models. It's really important that parents create what I call teachable moments. There's so many moments that you have in your online life to take your kids over and say, hey, I just got this note from the bank. I don't really understand what they're asking me. Or I got a note saying I could win a prize if we enter this contest. Let's have a discussion about it. What do you think? And then you're having a dialogue about meaningful privacy advertising, um, invasion of things, and you can both learn from each other. And it turns out when you're showing them things about your own online life, they will open up about theirs. You know, it's interesting when you talk about role models, because I've seen from one extreme, which is an actual case where parents were at a park environment, actually it was in New York, with um, two young children, and the children were lost uh, for a period of time. Thank goodness they were found because parents, the parents were so busy on their phones that they lost track of where the, where the kids were. Um, to the point, the other extreme is I've seen people standing in pools, not in New York and Ohio in this month, but I've actually seen them standing in swimming pools texting and emailing as they're standing in the shallow end of the pool, you know, and kids are like, look at me, look at me. And, and they're looking at their phone. Yeah. And, and then we wonder so, why when they grow up, they're, you know, it's the opposite. It's like, put down your phone and talk to me. Why? You know? Yeah. So I think we're all learning together and we all know how addictive technology can be. And we're all kind of creating the rules as we go along. And, um, I think you can be honest with your kids and say, I don't have all the answers, but we're in this together and we're going to figure this out. And if you come home and say, I'm going to use Kick or Snapchat or Vine, we're going to explore it together and figure it out. Um, Because, you know, these new messaging apps, video apps, social media apps are coming out faster than you can count them. And no parent is going to keep up on on these. And to think that you will is insane. So to keep the broader conversation going and, and, and be involved in their digital life as much as their other life is, is really important. You know, Robin, I think that's really a critical point. Um, and I really want to emphasize it because I was just in a conversation recently about um, with a parent who 
was talking about checking their children's phones. You know, they do this unannounced, you know, give me your phone. I want to check and see what's on it. And someone else who was in this meeting actually was saying, well, really? Well, you know, now there's an app. It looks like a calculator on their phone. And, you know, it really hides the text messages they don't want you to see. So if you didn't know to punch on that, it would be a problem. Um, and I thought, you're right, Robin. No one can keep up with every app day. There seems to be another app. You could never keep up with that. Yeah. And, but then there are like self-awareness tools. Like I use this one. I think it's called Check It. How many times have I picked my phone up in a day? It's scary. It's 150 times a day that I am checking my phone for something. So just being aware of that, just of your kids being aware, you know, it, we're all, like as I said, we're all learning. This thing used to sit on a desktop and sit where in front of the family, and now it's in our pockets, and it's a third wheel in every conversation. It's there for everything we do. It documents every part of our life. Uh, people actually, you know, think if they're not sharing it online, it sort of hasn't happened. Um, and so we're all learning this together and it's probably the first time it's ever been like that. Just the kids are learning and willing to experiment faster than you because A, they have time and B, they're not so afraid. <laughs> you know, like, Let me go on and see what this Snapchat is all about. And where we're, uh, I think as parents, a little more fearful. I, I think we are. And, and so that brings up the issue, Robin, of how do you help your kids in terms of security issues online? Because we all know about issues about bullying online and how that has really impacted some children very, very negatively. Um, and so how do you talk to kids about good security measures when they're using so, social media? So I think the first thing, sort of like the overall rule is every social media has some way of controlling options. And once you look at the options and all of these things, let's take Facebook, for example, which has thousands of options. Do I want to share it with my friends, friends of friends, friends who might know me, uh, just people in my, you know, you can build these circles of, um, of friendship and actually control what goes where. So understanding, uh, let's take YouTube, which is so hugely popular amongst kids. And I actually think they're going to end up saying everything they learned the way uh, they, the way we said about television, they'll say <laughs> everything I learned on I learned on YouTube, and so YouTube has YouTube Kids now. Now it's not perfect; it's actually done by algorithm. So they there's no human vetting uh, videos. It's actually algorithms that say there's no nudity here, or there's no uh, foul words, or there's no killing. But there is a channel called YouTube Kids. It's not perfect, but if you set it up so that your kids can only access YouTube Kids things are better. If you uh, work with Facebook, and again, the best way to do it, I think, with the kids is say, help me. I want to set up Facebook so not everybody sees everything I'm doing. Can you help me? And by working it through, not putting it on, I want you to use this, but we're going to all use this together. I think it changes the conversation. When my kids were younger, we actually uh, traded passwords. And I just said, look, in case anything happens to me, I just want you to know where our passwords are. And I'd like yours, too. And it was okay. <laughs> and they, res- like, they responded positively to that? They did. They did. Now, of course, they're probably underground in 700 other places that I don't know about. But it was a, a little victory. And it made sense. 
And the conversation was, what if something happens to you? The best way I can find out is through your accounts. And it's really true. So there's got to be this family trust about um, your your information, the same way you would give your kids, you know, access to your bank accounts if something happens or your will. Your digital assets are that important. And um, it should go both ways. Yeah, you know, and it's... I th- yeah. Go ahead, Robin. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, and I think, you know, that, that whole idea, because kids will do it too. You know, they're, they're so codependent. And kids, actually, this generation loves their parents and their grandparents more than any ever before. And because of technology, those uh, bonds are closer. But, you, you know, you get a call from your kid and say, well, do you think I should go with Jimmy tonight? And I, I am not you. You know, <laughs> I, I, I can't tell you what to do. I can't tell you what to major in. I can't tell you which course to take. I can tell you what my thoughts are. So parents, I think, need to be both honored that their kids are so close with them and staying close with them, but also a little uh, make sure they push the decision back to their kids. Because at the end of the day, you want a good digital citizen and citizen of the world who can cope with decision making. So we were talking before about um, apps that grandparents could use. All right. I was very, as a grandparent, obviously, I'm very, very interested um, in staying in touch with my grandchildren who do not live in the same city that I do, which is a very, very common problem these days. So in trying to keep those connections do you have suggestions for grandparents who want to maintain closer contacts with their grandchildren? Yeah. First of all, I think it's the greatest thing because, as I like to say, kids and grandparents both have more disposable time than parents. So it's great that um, they can spend time together. Second is it's sort of like a conversation in real life. You know, you'd always kids would come home from school and say, what did you do today? And the kids would just sort of shrug at you. So you need to have Start with either talking points that you're going to ask them or an activity. I find doing homework together is great, um, if, even if you're just using Skype or uh, FaceTime. Just say, oh, do you have a math problem? How'd you do that? Oh, we did it differently when I went to school. Uh, let's speak a different language. Let's talk about uh, when, I was a ki- when I was a kid. They love stories. They love reading together. And you are seeing some grandparent kids apps. I've written about two. One is called Kidoma, where actually grandparents and kids on the other end can read a book together and a hand moves over the words and it's kind of lovely. And then Us Time, where you can play games as silly as tic-tac-toe or more complicated. So you're actually doing something besides talking. And especially with the young ones, that kind of helps focus them and stops them from just jumping up on the chairs, uh, sticking their nose under the screen. <laughs> you, you've seen it all. You know what they do when they're in front of a camera and their parents are going, talk, talk, talk. <laughs> Actually, what I love most is my oldest grandchild, the first time, I think we were using FaceTime, and she real, she was very, very young, and she, she saw she saw me, but she saw the picture of herself very small, you know, at the bottom in the corner, and she kept punching it because she wanted to see herself get larger you know (laughs) yeah you know and they're just characters with the camera they're putting it up their nose and making funny faces and I, i i think that's great and i think we will get more used to having 
meaningful discussions uh, online like we're doing now. And I think the idea of doing projects together, uh, let's bake a cake. We're not in the same place, but let's try it. I take a cup, you take a cup. I break an egg, you break an egg. And I think we're going to start to learn how to do more of those things that keep the kids engaged, that's more um, definitive than what you do today. I think that's those are great, great suggestions. Is there any other technology that that you would recommend that parents or grandparents take a look at that you think are v- very valuable in terms of building relationships? Because it's interesting to me, Robin, because you're, I think, the first person that I've talked to about technology that really talks about how technology can build relationships. It, it's, it's amazing, and we don't think we give it enough credit. And it's, I'm much like I'm sure all of your listeners and that my family is all over the place. So sometimes, you know, where are we going to go on the family vacation? We will create a spreadsheet with votes, a Google Doc. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we create spreadsheets you know, to help manage um, my own mother's um, life and what everybody will be accountable for and what we'll do. So the idea of um, – and when you take older people, um, I, I, to me, cloud computing is the most phenomenal enhancement because I can actually sit in my house and my mother will call up like so many other mothers and say I'm having trouble getting into my email or my my Netflix or my can't get my music. I can actually go in as her. I have her passwords too and go in and fix the problem. And it's it's fun. And so technology, um, because it lives in the cloud and because she shares her passwords, I can work on that with her and she feels incredibly empowered to do amazing things. And it's so, um, I changed my printering, you know, because you talked me through it. I, um, I can um, download my music. I, and, and, you know, none of this stuff is easy. You think it's easy, but there's 17,000 passwords and questions. And I always laugh. My mother, we have the same conversation all the time. She goes, it's asking me my nickname. I said, well, what did you tell it the first time? <laughs> she says, well, I don't have a nickname. I said, you must have told it something. You know? And then she tells me, I said, well, how did you spell it? She goes, I don't remember. And so it's complicated. It's not as easy as people think. And yet, um, when you share the hurdles of getting through it, it I think it's really empowering. I, I, I think, Robin, you've given us today a, actually a whole new perspective. Uh, I've done uh, a number of shows, as I've said, on technology. And we've spent a lot of time talking about um, how stressful technology is. Um, and I add to that when I'm talking about email, because to me, my whole email system is extremely stressful. Um, and overwhelming. Um, and we've talked about security. And, and now that I'm thinking about it, as I'm listening to you, a lot of it, I think, has been very negative um, in terms of how the technology um, has added stress into our lives and, and created another element that we have to deal with that we don't really want to deal with. Um, and so I really appreciate your thoughts today because you're really a pioneer in thinking about technology and how it helps us um, and how it can help us improve relationships and maintain relationships in our lives. Yeah, so I've been looking at technology and watching it evolve for over 30 years now. And I have to say, I I am still an optimist. I think this generation is um, more eloquent, 
better spoken, knows that the world is a global place, knows very socially conscious. Uh, yeah, do they make mistakes like every teenage group will? Yes. Yes, do they do things as a, you know, I watch some of the young kids in our office who um, who just overshare and need 17 people to make a decision with them <laughs> and it kind of drives mm-hmm. me crazy. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it, there is a generation gap. You kind of accept it. There's always will be. There always has been. But by and large, technology, I think, is creating a generation of young people who are, um, for the most part, engaged and civil, except when they're not. <laughs> you know, and I don't have to tell you about the meanness and the snarkiness online and on Twitter and on various social media. And it, it's, it, it's sad. And that is the downside when things are so immediate uh, and nobody's thinking. And um, there's a lot of hurtful things too. But I think by and large, the stuff that doesn't get talked about enough is the good stuff. I agree. I agree. Robin, this, is, this has been a whole new perspective and it's been great speaking with you today. How do people find your information, contact you. So the uh, livingindigitaltimes.com is our URL. We run conferences and events about all aspects of life, from raising kids to uh, aging with technology, sports and fitness, what it's going to be like to live in a cashless world. And you can read about all the events that we do there, and you can get in touch with me right on that webpage. Great. Robin Raskin, thank you so much for being with us today. You've got it. Nice talking to you. Good work. Thank you. Nice talking to you.